In part two of the Helter Skelter scenario, we learn how cult leader Charles Manson connected the Beatles' White Album to the biblical end of days. Welcome, awesome. everyone. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Welcome to the Phantom Jukebox. I'm Ty Lindsay. And I am Joseph Shannon. The Phantom Jukebox, where two musicians dive into the world of music, myths, conspiracies, and bizarre music history. So, welcome, everybody. I know this one's a little unconventional. Uh, this thing wound up turning into three parts. Yeah. So Unexpectedly. Yes. So, this is the uh, second part of the story and then we have the third part coming out in the next episode so thank you again for, well in general thank you everybody for tuning in and listening to this there's just there's so much information yeah there's so much information and i want to thank everybody for joining us for these past three episodes on this i don't think this is going to be something we're going to do very often but this one this was a lot i mean there's, there's so much history behind both of these yeah, and definitely let us know uh, whether you want a the condensed version or you like it being all three episodes and you keep watching till the end. I would, we would love to. This is a new thing for us. Yeah, yeah. We're just, we're just kind of breaking down this like saga into digestible portions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, but uh, you'll find, you can find this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, we have, Spotify has a rating feature now. But uh, if you could, give us five stars. And if you have nothing to comment on, let us know if you like three-parters. Yeah. You know? And uh, this true crime theme we're doing in this three-parter episode. Yes. Do you like true crime? I love true crime. Oh, I do like it. And believe it or not, there's actually a decent amount in the music industry. So if you guys are interested, send them our way. Let us know. I'd love to cover them. Definitely. And let us know on twitter.com forward slash phantom jukebox underscore. And also facebook.com forward slash phantom jukebox. And follow us on instagram.com forward slash phantom jukebox podcast. Yes. So now we're going to take you back to where we left off in the last episode. Yeah. This episode is the one that's going to get kind of graphic. Okay. So, uh, hide for, the kids. Yeah, this is not the familyest of episodes. I mean, I don't, you know, not that it's like a maybe not necessarily a yeah, family show. Liquid but. Presley, World War One, all fantastic, like family friendly. <laughs> have your kids around, sit by the fire, and just put on some Phantom Jukebox to listen to. But this one, this one's the one where we need to maybe keep them in the basement for a little while while we do that. <laughs> listen to the podcast alone <laughs> i just picture like a little kid like after like you know uh that like weekend after thanksgiving opening up the, the containers they forgot about in the back of the fridge just oh what's this like beige gelatin on the top of all ugh, all this turkey oh honey that's called a sad elvis <laughs> 
Oh, seems like the Presley's gone bad. <laughs> Need to go ruffle through the fridge and get, get some of these out of here. Uh, got a whole lot of Presley built up on that turkey. <laughs> might, might, need, might need to toss it. <laughs> I <don't> know. <laughs> Actually, we did have one international one. We got the Christmas episode. We've, okay. crossed, we've crossed the pond at least a little yeah. bit, at least once. Yeah, but we, we're France, we're, Germany. Yeah, Northern France. We'll, we'll we'll do it more for sure. But uh, yeah, so this one we're going to get into the actual murders, the Manson murders themselves. Um, just kind of give us a little quick timeline here. We're going to start by going through. Uh, picking up where we left off on episode one, and we're going to talk about the White Album uh, a little bit. Not a whole lot, but a little bit like the the, the spark notes of uh, the significance of the, of the White Beatles Album. The Beatles' White Album. The Beatles' White Album. And then we're going to get into the murders, which is going to be probably uh, a majority of, not the majority, but a good quarter of this is going to be on the murders and describing them in relative detail. Okay. And then we're going to get into uh, probably the biggest part of this. The one I'm really excited about is the connection between um, like all of episode one was built up and learning about Manson and the Manson family to get to this point. And we're going to get to the end of the white album and the murders. And then after all that connect, like why are they all connected? Actually find out what Manson heard in the album. And I've, I've got, I've got detailed notes. Wow on a number of the songs and so maybe not all of them. Cause there's like 30 songs on the white album. Yeah. So, uh, on like the, on like maybe his, like, let's say his favorites, let's say, okay. you know, yeah. like the, the, the most, most popular one, Beatles white album, Charles Manson's favorite, Charles. favorites <laughs> of the white album. <laughs> I am Charles Manson. We're going to be listening to Charles Manson's greatest hits. Now at number five, how to get here. Topping the charts in 1973. <laughs> now, I do want to ask. Uh, Casey Kasem, I love you, man. Charles Sorry. Manson aside, yeah. if some random guy was just like, hey, after listening to the White Album by the Beatles, I'm starting to see some connections to the end of times. Mm -hmm. Is that in itself, after doing your research, okay. would you say is an outlandish statement or... With, with everything that Charles Manson, everything of him aside, if it was just some other random guy finding these similarities, is that itself crazy? Like, uh, are you saying like a, a relatively sane person listening to it going, I heard what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, you have to be a very special kind of mind ah. to find what he found. Okay. Um, I'm going to say if someone claims to have heard what they heard. They're probably a cultist. They're a, it's a, <laughs> a, they're a cultist. B, they need help. It might not be too late. Okay. Okay. <laughs> they, they, their blood sugar is low. Uh, they need sleep. So, <laughs> so crazy, but savable. <laughs> Open some windows. The oven might still be on. <laughs> You need to ventilate the house some more. <laughs> uh, lead in the water. They're eating off aluminum. You know, you got, there's, yeah, there's, yeah. that's a special mind. Okay. So uh, short answer is no. It's not as obvious as like the pairing of uh, the Wizard of Oz with the Pink Floyd album. It's not that 
No. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Well, then Um, let's get started. A valid question, and I appreciate you playing (laughs) devil's advocate on it, but uh, we're going to, so we're going to learn, so with the White Album, not not a bad segue, so we're just going to talk about the the Beatles' White Album, and we also joined by uh, our studio executive, Ziggy, uh, my lovely rat terrier dog. You can find her at Ziggy Smalls uh, on Instagram. (laughs) She usually posts about her day and uh, what she's barked at. If anyone's going to be a cult leader, if anybody, I it's it's that. It's dog. hard to say no to the face. I can actually the logo would be cool because she has two different color eyes. Like one of her eyes mm. is brown and one of them is yeah. blue. Could totally do like a David Bowie thing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it'd be called though. So yeah, <laughs> interesting thoughts. I have to think about my dog. You know what? It's a little early. <laughs> it's a little early. <laughs> but if you want to give us five stars on on Apple, which again, thank you one for listening right now. Really appreciate you giving us your time and your drive home or you're in the thank gym. Thank you for getting this far. Thank you for getting this far. It's but trust me, this is a good ride. We're about to go on. It's horrible what happened, but when we get into the murders are gonna be pretty rough. But when we get into, you know, when we finally get into Insane Street, it's gonna be worth the trip. Okay. Um. Not uh, every day you take a trip down Insane Street. <laughs> down insane, that insane drive, just let, letting Jesus take the wheel. <laughs> oh, that's a, dude. We can make a fake radio shirt. It's like uh, Charles Manson's greatest hits. Like, uh, <laughs> no. Welcome to Charles Manson's Top Five. Let just let Jesus take the wheel down the, down Crazy Street and all these nice dudes. <laughs> now chopping the tart, nineteen seventy four. Elter Skelter. I'm a madman. Um, but anyway, if you want to give us five stars, what would what would the name of my dog's cult be? <laughs> She's a rat terrier. She likes, you know, rat terrier things. So yeah, what what would my dog's cult name be? Okay, put that in your. If you got nothing else to write about, here's a cool prompt for you. But anyway, so picking up from uh, where we left off on uh, part one, so the white album. What yes. is the White Album? Well, I think besides Abbey, I think Abbey Road is probably the more notable, not notable, but I mean, like every Beatles album was like number one at some point. Yeah. I'm not the biggest Beatles fan. I did you know, this is just going off of my research and what I've heard. Um, But at some point, when every one of the Beatles albums basically is like a chart topper at some point for some reason, but especially the White Album. And especially Abbey Road, which I think comes out later. Pretty sure Abbey Road comes out after this. Yeah. Um, but I think Abbey Road is the more famous one because that's them crossing the street. Yeah, and that even has some conspiracy behind it. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, at some point. There we go. The, the, the show writes itself. Yeah. <laughs> at some point, we're going to be putting... Yeah. I'll look, that is interesting. I love like weird pictures and stuff, but... Um, so the White Album is actually called The Beatles. I think it's, I believe it's to be referred to as a self-titled okay. type situation, but it gets called The White Album because the sleeve's like really like plain. Like there's no graphics except for the name like embossed or something like that. Oh, okay. So it was released on the 22nd of November, 1968. Wow. <laughs> I'm very tempted every time I see dates now to read it as case in case. <laughs> November 22nd, 1968. 
It's the ninth studio album by the Beatles. It was recorded between May 30th and October 14th, 1968. Wow. Honestly, so October to November, like I don't know if, if um how many people are familiar with the process of mixing and mastering. That's a pretty quick turnaround. I mean, that's a pro level mixing and mastering. That's that's our turnaround for a song. Right. Not right. 30 something. And I mean, not to say our music isn't uh, complex, but it's not. I think, um, I mean, really, when you break down like a track, you, you got like yeah. four members in a band. Usually, let's say average four. We got four yeah. in other world, which is our band, by the way. Check us out. Um, so we got we have four members and you usually have two tracks of guitars on either side. So that's four. Uh, you usually have two bass tracks. You have a sub track and then like a regular track. Yeah. Uh, drums can be anywhere from like one track to 10 to 12, depending on how you've yeah. broken it up. Like it's either like a MIDI file, which is one or it's 12, which are all the individual yeah, like, if it's like, mic'd and live mic studio situations, which it's recording is an art form. Getting a good drum mix is another, like it's, yeah, it's the level of separate. patience your producer has to have for that. Um, yeah, no, uh, I I want to get into that, but I'm I'm already picturing the headache. Uh, that's why actually a lot of people, if they have an, a drum set they like, they'll mic it and then just leave it alone. Oh yeah, and then people add to it, but they don't touch the 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 basic mics that are there. It's like no, you're using my kick. <laughs> yeah, because I'm not spending four days setting it up. Um, but I mean, like by the end of the day, like you'll have, I think an average one of our songs might have like thirty tracks. Yeah. And that's including like li- like guitar solos, like any any little special things, keyboards. If you're going to add it, of course, vocals has multiple tracks, yeah, for, like harmonies and things like that. But the Beatles in particular, a this is all done on tape. Oh, this is all done on like they're talking analog tape, like you know, so uh, recording, fixing any errors and recording and stuff is uh, splicing tape apart. And taping it back together and then taking that and recording it back onto another master. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. And then your board, when you see your big mixing boards and stuff like that, you'll have, I think some of them had up to like 80 to 100 different individual tracks. They all have to be accounted for. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So a month, I think, is, is pretty quick. Very, very quick. I mean, it's not like it's bad, and then it, it sounds good. It's not like it's a rush job or anything, but it's just it's quick in my mind. Um, so the stereo version of this, because there's a couple, I think there's a mono version and there's a stereo version. Oh, um, which I think if it wasn't the white album, would anybody really care? Yeah, I mean, mono just means it's coming out of both speakers, and stereo means that it's split apart. And I guess, I mean, if it's like, okay, so if it's Pink Floyd, and we were talking about that. Stereo, all the way. Stereo. Because they, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. I mean, why even release a mono album? I retract my previous statement. If it's Um, Pink Floyd, you you do stereo. You do stereo. But I was thinking, I was like, ah, Paul McCartney gets pretty weird. I retract my previous statement. Now, I I get it. I get it now. I just, I'm not a Beatles fan, so it's. Yeah, but I mean, it, it still goes to show, like, why. Still, why do both? I mean, even in just the Beatles, stereo. well, yeah, I mean, just do like, stereo. Well, some people's like uh, you have to think of like some people's systems. The mm. stereo one would be more expensive because 
it's it's got all those different effects like if one thing fades from one ear to the next you know uh and some people's stereo systems are could be relatively simple so it can't do that or i don't know if it only has like one speaker yeah you know i i guess i could see that I, yeah i guess i i can see it now with uh the beatles are pretty artsy so they and they also they do a lot of cool things. I just don't like them. <laughs> I respect them. Yeah, that's different. It's like Ron Burgundy. I res- I hate you, but I respect you. <laughs> um, so that version is 93 minutes and 33 seconds wow. long. Wow. The stereo version. Jeez. 93 minutes. It's 30 songs. Wow. I mean, they call it the White Album, but isn't that technically the White like double album? I mean, it's like because yeah. if you bought the vinyl, it's like two vinyls. There's, I think there might be even more than that. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, how many songs can you fit on a vinyl? Well, I mean, I, even just comparing it to like you know the average uh, modern band, like a good twelve song. 45 album minutes. like 45 minutes yeah 45 50 minutes tops. And so you double that 60 minutes you're like that's kind of long yeah that actually 60 minutes is a long album nowadays i do uh i i totally would do like i would ca- i would not count on this band making uh that particular project making a lot of money but i would totally love to be in like a jam band just kind of like the the like a kind of like a catharsis thing where it's just yeah doesn't matter where this goes just get it on tape basically and record it i'm good with that oh yeah cool let's just do it i mean like yeah seven minute song i want that i am working on a i'm working on a deep cut for uh for other world uh i it's gonna be the halloween special okay Okay. The Halloween special is either going to be like kind of the standard song length, about three minutes, 30 seconds, or it's going to be my thriller epic, like like Michael Jackson thriller. Nice. The long we need that. I, 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 I'm looking forward to it. I have, I'm excited about it. But anyway, um, the album covers a wide range of, the White Album covers a wide range of genres, wide way, wide, 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 <laughs> wide range of genres, including folk, British blues, ska, Music Hall and of course Avant Garde, which is kind of Avant Garde because definitely comes from like the Helter Skelter, and there's a couple of ones like the song Helter Skelter that we'll talk about later on. It has since been viewed by some critics as a postmodern work, as well as long, uh, sorry, as uh, well as among the greatest albums of all time. Huh. So, and there and there's big songs that come from it. I I again, I'm not the best one to judge here. I I, I don't think so. Yeah. Of all time? No. No. It's no. not in my top ten. Nah. Uh but about a bunch a bunch of other people could care less about that opinion because it sold twenty four million copies. Oh. Uh that's in total. That's not broken down. That's like all known sales, including up to now. Wow. Uh and then went twenty four times platinum, including re releases. Wow. That's I will say that is a damn good album when it gets re-released and then goes platinum again. Yeah, I mean that's pretty good. That's I mean you have you have to you have to say well shit. Yeah, that's that's like that respect not, coming in. Gotta you gotta. And really, what I don't like about the Beatles is John Lennon. It's it's really, I think Paul Paul McCartney is probably the 
my third favorite out of the remaining Beatles. Ringo is probably my favorite. Harrison, I thought, wrote some cool stuff. I thought he was a he was a really interesting guitarist. And then uh, Paul McCartney has written some great tunes, but I, his later work is like. <laughs> and then I've never liked anything John Lennon's ever done. Well, that, yeah, that's the thing. And also, I try and keep separate my like for either the music or the band itself. It's you know? hard when it's John Lennon though, because that dude wouldn't shut up. Because yeah. he had like just Yoko right behind him, ending, <laughs> ending things. I, I, I. That's something. I wonder if it would qualify to be a topic, unless it. It might be like maybe a mini episode because I want to look into. Was Yoko actually the reason the Beatles pretty much broke up? I don't know. Because you'd have to find out before were they good, and then insert Yoko. And then where they got to, because I know she caused problems, but I don't know if she yeah. was a number, you know, a villain number one. The reason the the Beatles broke up. Yeah, I don't know. Something to look into. We'll see. That might be a mini episode. We'll see. Speaking of having problems during recording, uh, arguments broke out amongst the foursome over creative differences and over Yoko, because Yoko would uh, try to. Basically, she would kind of, I do know that she would try to come up with stuff for this album, and some of her ideas made it in, and I'm thinking that everybody else was like, it's fucking terrible. Wow. (laughs) There is a video of Yoko Ono, by the way, if you think I'm being kind of mean here. She's a quote-unquote musician, right? Or performer, or artist, or I don't know what you call what she does. But there is a video of her at like some art gala, the high art gala. So there's real art galas where you have people and I'm not I'm not like dissing like expressive art and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Like where it's yeah. like a splotch of some kind because some of that can be aesthetically appealing. Yeah. Uh, the colors being pretty and stuff like that. I'm you know, moving you in different ways. I do see that like I do expressionism and stuff like that. I can see it. I'm more like I like uh, impressionism and maybe photorealism and things like maybe less photorealism, but when you actually paint a thing or like a a science fiction landscape or something, that's more interesting to me. Or even if you paint a bunch of weird shapes, but the technical prowess of it's really, really good. Yeah. You know, the subject matter can vary, whatever it can be, but you can appreciate the technical skill that goes into shading and things like that. But some of this high art gala stuff, gets ridiculous like the banana duct tape to the wall yes that yes sold for thousands and thousands of dollars you know some genius and it came with a certificate that said you can replace the banana and the duct tape <laughs> so what are you buying so, so <laughs> you know if you hear that uh, that's 100 percent true <laughs> do you hear that fame so, you ever hear the fable where it's, uh, um, I think it's something, it's something to do with the Argonauts or something like that, where um, basically if you slowly replace the planks of a ship to the point you've replaced all the wood on the ship, is it still the same ship? Yeah. That kind of thing. So like if you slowly replace the banana and then the tape, is it the same piece of art? Maybe that is the question. I mean, 
it just Wait, it, it sold and is quickly it, is it art or is it just a kind of yellowish brown stain on the wall yeah i mean the whole debate was and i don't know if it was confirmed or if it's still just kind of myth was that he had an extra slot or like maybe a certain painting wasn't done yet and so he's just like ah just tape the banana to the wall <laughs> called <laughs> called expression expressionism abstract They'll get it. And yeah, somebody's thousand dollars. Somebody sold a blank canvas for thousands of dollars. Oh my it was God. a blank canvas. Because it was in a series where it was like four shapes and then like three shapes and then like two shapes and then like blank, blank fucking canvas. Wow. <laughs> and they bought blank canvas. And so what you're doing with things like that and, and you, you have to be of like this mindset where like you haven't lived in reality for a really, really long time. And you just don't know what people actually like and what's actually good anymore because you're just in this circle of people that are constantly trying to outdo each other. Yeah. And I, it just get it, where that where that winds up. I mean, it's not like I've ever been famous or anything, but where that winds up is so crazy. And we get to Yoko Ono again. And she's at one of these banana tape to a wall. You know what? <laughs> you know what? That's a new standard for us. Is it fancy? Or is it banana tape to a wall? Fancy? <laughs> I, I encourage everyone listening. Just try it out. Get a canvas, <laughs> you know, a medium, biggish size canvas. But you have canvas. to give it a really, really pretentious name. No, no, no. no we'll, we'll get to that first. Yeah, yeah. You take the canvas, get any three paints and just splatter them onto the canvas. Call it whatever you want by artist, whoever. Put it on eBay with a starting bid of $250 and see what happens. $250? Scare them. But you need that pretentious name. And it needs to be like um ooh, I would do I would do quote unquote sculptures though. Um let's say um I don't know, bagel bite on pencil stuck in foam brick. <laughs> and it represents uh the plight of the antarctic the antarctic penguin <laughs> as it migrates from one place to another and and that it just represents it's just society <laughs> just stutter a little bit and just say society at the end but it's got to be this like paragraph of bullshit that people maybe read the first line of yeah of course they're not gonna make you it just word end. salad just word salad your way through it at the end. Maybe it's a recipe for box mac and cheese. And then they don't know that you're actually just spouting lore of like a video game. <laughs> you're just spouting Skyrim lore. And they don't know any better. If you go to Whitehall. <laughs> this is the famed Argonian prince. <laughs> Argonia, I've never heard of it. Kajits are actually a cat people that come from Farland. Um yeah, sorry. But <laughs> beautiful tangent. By the way. But uh, so Yoko is in one of these high art galleries and she's making she's just yelling and she's like just like, like just yelling into a oh. microphone. Oh, okay, yeah. And As you do. A guy next to her is like mimicking her on like a tenor saxophone. Alto saxophone. It might be okay. an alto saxophone, but he's like He'll make it. They're like riffing back and forth of who can make the most obnoxious sound possible. And by the way, that is not a slight on the saxophone. 
Or as, so, I, li- as I like to call it, the bendy sex whistle. <laughs> so they're just like Jim Carrey like, from Dumb and Dumber <laughs> outdoing <laughs> each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yes. <laughs> like, yes. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's so bad. I encourage YouTube it. I, if I could, I might, I might like it. Like, yeah. Okay, saxophone can make some beautiful sounds. Yes. But it's Baker also, Street. if you know what you're doing, you can so easily make some horrible sounds on the saxophone as well. Very easily. I'm not giving this guy credit that he knew what he was doing. <laughs> I'm just going to say you can make some awful sounds on a Stradivarius violin if you wanted to. But, oh, yeah, I, I could do that. Oh, it's a... It's, <laughs> It's nightmare fuel. Like I, I, I wonder if anybody can make it through the whole thing without having to pause it. I had to pause it like three times. One from wonderment. Two because I was laughing so hard. Three because I had to wonder why I was watching this and not doing my work. <laughs> <laughs> then I finished the video. But uh, so back to our scheduled program. Yoko was causing some problems, and she was causing infighting between the Beatles, and. And also we're at this point too. This is like one of the last, the Beatles, like last albums. I think they've got one more after that. I think it might be Abbey road. Oh, wow. I'm not quite sure, but I know they're towards the end of their career. Cause they had a, they released a bunch of albums like really quick. Yeah. So, um, but they all kind of like, they didn't, they stopped looking at themselves like they were the Beatles too. So it wasn't, uh, the Beatles. It was George Harrison with Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr and John Lennon. Huh. Kind of like they were like individual artists that were working together. It was like the, the, the band was in their mind half broken up already. Like they all just wow. wanted to do their own things because they just got, I guess they just got really sick of each other or at least a number of them did with each other. So, and it got to a point that was so bad that um, only 18, sorry, only 16 of the album's 30 tracks feature all four band members performing their individual instruments. Wow. So half of the album, only half of the album consists of like definitely Ringo playing drums, definitely Paul on bass and Harrison and Lynn on guitars uh, for like only like half of the album for sure. Cause the other parts of the album would, um, so usually like the songwriter would come in and compose their parts. Okay. So like Harrison would play like Paul's parts and John's parts and then maybe even Ringo's parts. Huh. So, I mean, it gets, it gets messy. So you just credit everybody with the album, but I mean, that's just a sign that things aren't going, that's just a sign that things aren't going well. I mean, yeah. being in bands for a long time, especially with, um, you know, the, I don't, I'm not in bands. I don't want to be in the other world is a band. I really like and really like what we do. Yeah. And it's sad to me to imagine Cause I mean, cause we'll come up with stuff like when you present music, yeah. Uh, like especially the song we're working on right now. Well, we've written and we're coming up with a video for now. Uh, it's cool because it's got your own flavors in it, and then you bring it to Connor, who will, uh, our singer, other guitar player, who will you know kind of do his thing to make the vocals and stuff work. Yeah. And then you might put down maybe a scratch bass track because you like the way certain notes ring out, but you would never like. You would never be like, you have to play these bass parts. Yeah. Just no. like I can chicken scratch my way through uh, some guitar parts to like sketch the idea out, but I would never think I was good enough to put that on the album, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, that's one of my favorite things to do is honestly like sitting down and Connor and I can like bounce ideas back and forth just all night. Right. And and new things come out of it, too. Exactly. Get, I mean, you can stare at something till you go snow blind, but uh, and then you've only got yourself to like think of stuff. But like the beauty of working with other people is the crazy things, crazy ways things can go. And I mean, you already was you already talked about how well this album did. I could only imagine if they were still cohesively together and working well together and happy doing this, right. how much better those songs would have been Yeah, if they were actually bouncing back stuff back and forth and writing it like a band should. Yeah, no, it's, it's, very, it's, it's sad being in a band. Um, it, it's just really sad to see because obviously they work together really well, becoming you know, the heads of the British invasion and people still talking about their music 30, 40 years later. So yeah. It's, it's sad. To see, and it and also goes to show how good they individually were to do half of the album by themselves, pretty much like one or two of them at a time working together. And then it still do as well. Yeah. That's and it true. just shows how good individually as writers they are. And I think Ringo is a good musician and a good writer. He just doesn't get a lot of credit for it. Huh? Maybe he's not as good as Paul or as good as Harris. But, I mean, he wrote catchy stuff later on, too. Yeah. Like, Photograph, or I've Got a Photograph, and this song's called. I think it's a great song. So, I like Ringo. He seems like a fun guy. But, uh, Lennon would actually say the break of the Beatles can be best heard on that album because of all. Oh, wow. Of, of basically, because you'll hear things probably if you're a diehard fan where you're like, I don't think Paul would play that. I don't yeah. think John would do that, you know? Um, at one point, Ringo did quit recording because uh, they they were constantly like ragging on him about some different drum stuff, wanting him to try this. And I kind of look at being in the band, uh, being in a band with other people, as like having certain departments. I am the yeah. head of the bass and keyboard department. Yeah, I'm not like a virtuoso on the keys, but I'm a pretty damn good bass player. Okay, yeah, um, I believe it. So I like so. I when someone hands me a song, and I will always take suggestions. But at the end of the day, the part I put on the song is what I wanted to do. Yeah, and because I think that's just going to go with my style, running it through my filter and stuff like that. As as the same way going around with, um, Connor's like lead lines is he's come up with completely different stuff than what I originally imagined songs to be like. And then when you have somebody that actually has the you know a good picking hand. Yeah, <laughs> to play the parts it sounds a little different. <laughs> Things don't ring out so poorly, and you know, actually sounds good. But um, I've all, I will always like suggest, but I don't. I would never like tell Brandon, for example, how to play drums because he is the head of the drumming department. Yeah, and uh, so they just kept stepping in on Ringo and kept telling him how to play things, and maybe they had good ideas just framing it really because there's there's a way you can tell somebody your idea without pissing them off yeah it's called a conversation yeah <laughs> it's, it's really easy not to piss somebody off and um but he did come back after the argument you know like he went away for like two weeks he like straight up quit wow he was like, you know both fingers in the air screw you guys left and then he came back like two weeks later and they woke him back with like flowers in the drum set <laughs> okay oh so. Um, and so very, very briefly, uh, I wanted to talk about, uh, one of the songs on the, the white album and to kind of get into 
the actual source material, the like what songs we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and to answer your your uh, question earlier, would somebody hear these things in this album? And the answer is absolutely not. Oh, there's no fucking way that you would hear the shit that you that he's pulling out of it. Like where he's talking it like end of days. Wow. End of days biblical shit. Revelations level shit. Okay. Um so for example, Honey Pie, which was written by uh Paul McCartney, is a riff on vaudevillian music from the twenties. And it's a and it's a reference to like it references like Hollywood and stuff and like how he liked the twenties. The end of times, yes. Yes. <laughs> Sat- Satan. All I heard was Satan, the devil. Honey pie? That's what I call Satan. That's an anagram for the <laughs> devil, I'm sure. <laughs> honey pie. I'm on a nickname basis with Satan, and that's what I call him, honey pie. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something you get called in prison. <laughs> oh. Maybe that was Charles Manson's name in prison. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> anyway so it's stuff like that like there's one song uh that references uh a cowboy uh it's a a made-up song about a cowboy and it came from this like weird reference when they were in india and the songs one of the i believe there is a song uh it's it's kind of graphic when you break it down that i believe you could pull that's a poor choice of words uh you could derive the fact that he's talking about masturbating. Oh, that's why he said pole was a poor yeah. choice of words. <laughs> yeah. I believe, and it's, I believe the li- the lyrics are happiness is a warm gun. Uh, okay. Uh, kind of g- gross. Yeah. Originally, um, <laughs> originally I was, I was talking, I'm not going to say it was, I was talking to somebody. Because I was listening to the White Album while I was doing my research just to get into the, the mind space and stuff. And someone told me that. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, really? And he was like, yeah, I think it's my guitar. While my guitar gently weeps. <laughs> I was like, no, not the one song I kind of like. And I was oh. like, that's nasty. You're telling me that Prince and Eric Clapton and Phil Collins. I don't Collins think it's that one. Got, I don't all think got it's on that stage one. together and played that song in a, on, a, on a fucking stage, a stadium or some live benefit to honor George Harrison. It's about whacking off. No, but I, it's, I, yeah. No, but I think it's the one's called Happiness is a Warm Gun. Okay. It's pretty, it's pretty gross. Yeah. It's still really gross. Yeah. I think there's uh, references about grip and stuff. And it's, it's, I'm pretty sure it's about, uh, strobe man strobing or whatever that song is <laughs> okay yeah that song it was like stroke get oh yeah <laughs> get uh, it together now great guitar riff but it apparently it's about a handshake but if you listen to it you're like nah dude yeah handshake yeah, your hand is shaking <laughs> <laughs> put the kids away please they don't be listening to this we warn people in the beginning Great segue. <laughs> what? Excuse, excuse me. That was that was a segue. Oh lord. So now we are now we are getting into murder territory. So uh, for the next couple minutes, uh, we are going to be getting into the. I'm going to kind of go into 
Yeah. Hi, Ziggy. Um, so there's actually a couple murders that happened over the span of like one full day. Okay. Um, so you've got the, uh, the murders, uh, the Sharon Tate murders, which are probably the more famous ones. Yeah. And then there is a murder that the set of murders that happened, well, not set, but there is a, another event, let's say that happens later on in the same day. So to kind of clarify, cause I know it might get a little confusing. The events we're about to get into uh, start at like midnight on the ninth, or like so from transitioning from the eighth to the ninth. Okay, I believe. Yeah. And then the rest, the next murder happens over the course of the night of the ninth. So you'll hear like, it, I'll 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 try to keep everybody on track, but basically this happens over the span of like a realistic twenty four hours. Oh, you know what I mean. So it's like. Midnight, eight o'clock, going into nine a. You know, busy during the witching hours. Yes. So, so a that lot of this a takes, cult would be. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's so creepy too. Like when you're sleeping. God. So, so last chance. We're getting into the murders now. Yeah. Now if we're the, if you haven't murder. kicked him out because of what you've heard pre- previously. So. Yeah, if you let that them stay the for happiness is a warm gun, and now we're going to talk about the murders, it's like, oh, 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 this is a jerking off no murder family house. <laughs> Upstairs, young people. So, so I'm getting the keys out to unlock this house of murder. The chance I'm jangling the keys, trying to find. Okay, now we're in the house of murder. All right, so. Now we're going to talk about, real quick, the... I, I wanted to kind of talk about the people in the house. And then we'll get into kind of what happened to them. Because I mean, cause what, I, what I kind of saw when I was doing the research on this is a lot of people would talk about the murders. And then you kind of forget that these are... like People would say, like, oh, Sharon Tate died because she was like an actress. Yeah. But I wanted to talk about the people real quick. Because these are the people that got killed. And I wanted to... I wanted to talk about them a little bit first, just to kind of be like, hey, these are people that died. So when you yeah. hear this, it's not just... Out of respect. As much as it can be, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. So, yeah. So, it, 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 so these are the people at the house. This is the Sharon, at Sharon Tate's house. So, um, remember when we were talking about in the, uh, the last... Uh, in the ep in part one, how Manson was trying to be a musician and uh Dennis Wilson's uh no it was uh Dennis Wilson, the Beach Boy, for the guy from the Beach Boys connected him to a guy named uh, I believe Terry Melcher, who was a record producer who uh wanted Manson wanted to get in with to make an album. Yes. But Manson was too fucking crazy and uh Melcher like basically Melcher's manager basically like kicked him out yes. or Wilson's manager basically kicked him out and that ended relationships. Right. I'm not a bad musician, just a really bad person. Great. Oh, man, he wasn't that bad. He wasn't like Hollywood's next idol. America's got talent, whatever, but he wasn't bad. He was good for folksy. The reason his house was important. Melcher's was renting a house with his girlfriend, uh, at, uh, 150 Celio Drive in Benedict Canyon, Los Angeles. Okay. That's important because 
Sharon Tate moves into that same house. Oh. So that's why I wanted to talk about that situation altogether because this is what ties it together. Um, so Sharon Tate um, was married to Roman Polanski. Are you familiar with that name? No. He's a director. We'll talk about him in just a second. So the house was previously rented by yeah Terry Melcher, and um, currently this house is being rented by Roman Polanski and his uh, recent uh, wife Sharon Tate. Like they've just gotten married, okay, not that long ago. And real quick, and if you're wondering if it's that Roman Polanski, uh, yes, it is because this is in, in 1978, which happens after what we're going to ready to talk about. This is the guy that had to flee to France because of unlawful interactions with a minor. Oh. Yeah. So. That Roman Polanski. This guy kind of grows up to be, well, not grows up. This guy kind of continues on to be a piece of shit. <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, the judge allegedly was going to reject his uh, plea bargain, like as he was going to like plead guilty and stuff and whatever and get like basically a slap on the wrist for what he did. And the judge was basically, I guess he, I, I don't know if it, how, I didn't get too deep into that, but I just know these things did happen. But the the alleged part is that the that the reason he fled to France, like his argument oh. was that the judge was like, fuck your plea deal, I'm giving you 50 years. And that's nice. why he ran to France. And he couldn't be extradited from France because of their rules. Oh, so he he hid there because he had a house that he lived in back and forth, and he was there just enough to be considered like citizen esque, I guess. Oh, yeah, he's a piece of shit. So, but before he completely, because you don't just start doing that, like, no, that's yeah, probably some cult intervention. But anyway, so Roman Polanski is married to Sharon Tate, who is at this point. Eight and a half months pregnant. Oh man, yeah, yeah. It gets it's dark. So we're talking August eighth. So remember, this takes place over like a literal twenty four hours. Well, basically, like a yeah, kind of like a yeah, like twenty four hours. That's right about right. Uh, August eighth in the house. Uh, so at the house, just kind of hanging out together, and like okay. they wanted, like they were there was some like it was Sharon Tate and Roman Plansky's not there. Uh. Sharon Tate and then some like friends and friends of friends are kind of staying together and like they're sleeping over. That's why there's so many people here. Okay. So Sharon Tate was uh, 26. She was an up and coming actress and she was definitely like on her way, but she hadn't landed that big role yet. Oh, uh, she was kind of, she was very attractive. Um, like kind of known as like, you know, the up and coming, like, you know, hot young thing. And she was like, from what I could tell, like a she did a lot of comedic roles, but she was, she I mean, because it's we're talking like the late '60s here, early '70s. We're we're talking like, uh, what Austin Powers was joking about with how they kind of like portray women and how Austin Powers like, oh yeah, you know, she would get these kind of roles of just being like a hot receptionist that like falls over and you see a bit much, you know, yeah, not in every single film, but. You know, she was kind of like the hot person they would have in the background sometimes. Okay. You know, she was she was she was starting not out. doing that bad. No, she's not. And she would get some like speaking roles, which are big. She had one with Dean Martin. Uh, I forget the name of the movie, but 
know, there's one with Dean Martin, and he's like, you know, he sees her and he's like, wow, you're really attractive, kind of thing. She was on her way. She hadn't like landed a lead role yet, but she was definitely on her way to get there. Yeah. And she wanted better roles too. She's just playing the angle. Like she's like, this is what I'm getting right now. And then she definitely had sights set for like better films. You know what yeah. I mean? You gotta like I'm you gotta play the game sometimes and she was really good at it. I mean, to the point she worked her way into the circles to marry a really famous director. I mean, they I bet they actually did like each other, but you know what I mean? Like you have to get to the point yeah. where you meet these people and she was good enough to do it. So Okay. Uh so talent on their way up and then uh Jay Sebring, who was a noted uh, celebrity hairstylist. I think her and Sebring allegedly dated, I think. Huh. But they were still friends. I believe that's yeah. how it works out. Uh Plansky has a uh friend. Whoa, I'm gonna do my best here. Whoa. <laughs> I'm going to call him Frykowski because their name is, their first name is W O J C I E C H. Like Wojike, Wojik, Wojish. I don't, I, Fryos, Frykowski. Okay. So W Frykowski and Frykowski's girlfriend, Abigail Folger. Heiress to the Folger's coffee fortune. Really? Yes. Wow. That Folgers. These are the people like Tate's made it to, man. She's hanging out with like, so it's like celebrity hairstylists like meet all kinds of fucking people. Yeah. Like this is, this is like top tier talent hairstylist talking to uh, the fucking heiress to one of the biggest coffee companies in the world. Yeah. Tate's on her way. Like it's, it's sad what happens. Yeah. And then you've got uh, William Geraldson, who is the house caretaker. So they're renting this house. And then Geraldson's like the guy who like, mows the lawn, keeps the, oh. you know, just maintenances things. Yeah. And then Steve Parent is a friend of William Geraldson. And they're all kind of there. Geraldson slept in like the, you know, there's like a separate little house or like separate little like apartment kind of thing on the property. It's separate from the main house. Slept in the shed? It's not a shed. It's like a pool house kind of okay. thing. Okay. But he gets like, he, you know, that's. That's what he stays in as a, you know, because he's taking care of that place. And then Steve Parent was visiting him like there. So they're a little separate from the house. Oh, okay. It's kind of like a, I kind of like these. They're like, in some houses, you'll have like the, the, the in laws kind of like house or like a house on the property where like grandparents eventually can move into. Oh, I think it's cool. Like when they, when they're not necessarily quite capable to take care of themselves anymore. And yeah, I wouldn't mind that. Yeah, they just need a little bit of help. I think that's I think that's way more noble. In, instead, in that, there's, a it is noble because that is tough. Like when, yeah. um, because there's a point where it gets it gets really difficult. Um, yeah, I mean, I've um, I've had grandparents, uh, great grandparents rather, that uh, needed a lot of help, and then you know my granddad did everything he could, and then um, eventually wound up having to. Just because it was the it was the safer thing to do, yeah. uh, to put my uh, great grandmother in like an assisted living facility, she got to I mean she got to like ninety eight, wow, good genes, yeah. Uh, but it, I mean just it just it was the right thing to do. Like she was you know, she was slipping unfortunately mentally and uh just she was she was no longer able to take care of herself and needed that extra help to like make sure she took medicine and stuff like that. Yeah. So, but 
I, I like that. I really like the idea. It keeps the family together longer. Not that they disappear once you send them to an assisted living facility, but when they're not next to you, it's it's tough. You know. Yeah, definitely. I, I commend people that uh, really take you know really go that extra mile and uh, are the caretakers as literally as long as they can be. It. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, so it's Stephen Parent. It's just a friend of William Garrettson, and then uh, Roman Polanski is away in Europe filming a movie called The Day of the Dolphin. Oh. It's a 19... And this is the... I wanted to... This is the only like little bit of humor I could throw in this particular section because it's not about the murders. Yeah. Um, this is just happening at the same time. Uh, this is a ridiculous movie. <laughs> filming, it's The Day of the Dolphin. It's a 1973 science fiction thriller directed by uh, Mike Nichols, who wound up taking over for Polanski, starring George C. Scott. The sequel to The Way of the Dragon. Am I right? <laughs> the Way of the Dolphin. Just takes nunchucks on pizza shit out of Flipper. Flipper <laughs> <laughs> pulls out fish. Oh, man. So the movie premise, I had to. I had to. A brilliant and driven scientist, Jake Terrell, and his wife, Maggie, along with their small team, are training dolphins to communicate with humans. On their remote island research facility. Wow. <laughs> uh, Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's based on a novel. Based on a novel. <laughs> oh, man. I'm not a real big fan of dolphins, I almost, to be honest. I almost want to see it. That might be another live streaming event. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, do you know if it was like released oh yeah no it came out 1973 wow <laughs> the film version was originally going to be directed by Roman Polanski uh, for United Artists in 1969 uh, with Polanski writing the script but um, while he was in London looking for locations uh, the murders happened so uh -huh. Polanski wound up abandoning the project to come home to take care of things so yeah, understandable. He's a piece of shit, but yeah, before this, this is technically before he became an outright piece of shit. Okay, so closeted piece of 19, shit. 1970, sorry, nineteen sixty nine. Polanski was okay, I think. But yeah, I mean, is, it, the, this whole situation might have been a big turning point for him. Maybe could maybe I mean maybe I mean regardless, don't. Don't fuck around with minors. Yeah. I mean, uh, that, that maybe, part should be pretty obvious. Maybe more goddamn therapy. Yeah. <laughs> or just therapy. It's a very under, it's a very underappreciated thing. A good therapist. Yeah. I mental, making sure your mental faculties are in good health. Can't like, it's, it's very underrated. Definitely. Treat it like a muscle, man. If it gets damaged, you got to treat it. Uh, so now we're actually going to get into the Sharon Tate murders. Like this is the one okay. that's happening first. So I kind of went fact for fact about this because I didn't want to like, I, I I'm not going to throw in a bunch of like adjectives here. You know, this isn't, okay. uh, this isn't dateline or daytime news or whatever. So this is what I pulled out of it. So this is not hyped up for any reason. Dateline for that guy came later. <laughs> 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 to catch a predator 
<laughs> What's that guy's name? Oh, I don't Ooh. know. I know who you're talking about. Oh, it slips man. my mind. Great voice. For that, Dateline? Yeah. Oh, no, he, no, to catch a predator. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Now, the guy from Dateline's got a pretty good voice, too. Yeah. Very, uh, like, ah. So he walked in the room. It's really, like, whispery. And so, uh, what are you trying to do here? <laughs> Why are we here again? I don't uh, I'm, That joke yeah. ends. Okay. That joke ends right there. Okay. We're going to take that in all places. All right. So on the night of August 8th, 1969, four Manson family members, Tex Watson, Susan Atkins, Patricia Kenwinkle. I almost, <laughs> I almost called her Bo Winkle. Patricia Kenwinkle or Krenwinkle and Linda Kasabian drove from Spawn Ranch to 150 Celio Drive. Sorry. 10050 Celio Drive in Benedict Canyon, Los Angeles. So they arrive after midnight, now August 9th. So they're driving there August 8th, crosses over into August 9th. Let's just say it's August 9th now, but in the early, early parts of the morning. Uh, Tex Watson uh, and the three other members drive and disable the phone lines to the house. So they park, get out, and like they park kind of like on the bottom of the hill, sort of, because the house is kind of like inclined a little bit. Yeah. The driveway is like kind of like an uphill thing. And before they get there, they park kind of like on like lower. So you don't really see the car, like, you know, on a, on a street level and they disable the phone lines, which I mean, that is already first degree motive. Yeah. <laughs> that is already that, like, that's intent right there. That is in, that is intent if I've ever and seen a crime. This drama. is all phone lines. Back then, that's all you got. That's all you got. There's no, there's no portable phones of no. any kind. Your portable phone is the street phone that you hopefully have changed for. Yeah. The phone, the phone booth. Um, so Linda Kasabian was also present but didn't take part in the murders themselves. She would stay with the car. Oh. So uh, Stephen Parent, you know, the, who was 18, who was visiting uh, the housekeeper, was saw them like kind of like approach the property and was like, "Hey, what are you doing here?" Like he told them to stop. Like, what are you doing here? Yeah, because he didn't know these people. As you would, as you would, you know. And like, who the hell are you people? And then so Tex pulls out a twenty-two, which if you've twenty-two is a pretty small caliber, but it'll do damage. Yeah, I mean, a twenty-two will sometimes do m- more damage than some of the bigger rounds because of how small it is. It if you're close can actually enough. bounce off of your bones and kind of like ping pong around in your ribcage. Yeah. Not a magnum, though. Magnum will go through you. Uh, really think so? I think a magnum would go through. It's getting, Magnum's going pretty far in. Yeah. But either way, so basically 22 is a very small caliber. Yeah. But because it's moving, it's so small and it's so fast, the damage levels go from... You winged me to like he's like uh, Joe said like shrapnel in your like just broken apart like a like a claymore you know yeah you have a entry wound in like your right shoulder and the exit wound is like bottom of your right. stomach that's it's, insane yeah and just tearing up all kinds of stuff on the inside um so without really too much of basically as soon as the guy says stops like almost from go. Watson pulls out a twenty-two and uh, then pulls out a knife and proceeds to slash him with the knife. Uh, so there's def- uh, uh, 
parent has like defensive wounds because he put his hands up. But uh, basically, he cut him so much, like so badly with the knife. Like wow, like when he hacked at him with the knife. Uh, they said that it went through uh uh parents like watch, like it cut through. Like when he held oh, his wow. hand up, and I it didn't say if it was a leather watch or if it was a metal band, but like yeah. You know, you don't have a lot of leverage on a knife, right? No. So I mean, if this was like he pulls out a claymore sword and, you know, took his hand off or something like that, you're like, okay, that makes sense. But a knife, like, is just, it's not, there's not really a lot there. Yeah, it's hard because it's quick. Yeah, but he hit him hard enough with that to cut through the guy's, like, watch and got, like, super deep into his wow. arm. So he's already, like, awfully, like, he's hit something. He's, he, it's near damn fatal already. And then he just proceeds to shoot him four times in the chest. Oh. So it's just like he pulls so he pulls the gun out, then knife, knifes him, then shoots him. Bang, 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 bang. Wow. It's it's if there's no rhyme or, shoot him. There's no rhyme or reason to this. Yeah, I mean if you're gonna shoot him, by you the way don't need to pull the knife out. By the way, I also wanted to clarify Manson doesn't really know that I mean maybe he heard Roman Polanski's there. But he's not like, oh, that's Sharon Tate. Let's go kill Sharon Tate. It's literally, yeah. this is 10050 Celio Drive. Basically, whoever's in that house is just fucked. Wow. Like, it's, <laughs> it's, there's no rhyme or reason to this. Yeah. There's none. They don't, they don't, and they're not, they don't really have a plan either of what's about to happen. It's just, just basically their, their, their basic instructions are do horrible things. I mean, I've not met a lot of cultists, but I don't assume they to be very good planners. You know, <laughs> you know that's a you know that's interesting. At least the individuals in the cult, like the regular members, because yeah. like your head people are like borderline genius level. Oh yeah, they're the planners. Yeah, but they're also that's the reason why they're never the ones there committing all of these things. Yeah, Charles Manson might have been. At a one to ten, a four. Um, no, maybe he might have been like maybe a five point five on the talent scale, but he was a borderline charismatic. So like, he had char- hit charisma off the charts. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people would find themselves like unwittingly having conversations with him, uh, just because he's just like that good at talking to you, because he'd studied how you talk to people. Yeah. The only good thing about him. That he abused. Just, just a reminder: he is a piece of shit human. He's a he's a super racist. <laughs> in in awful, case you forgot, he is a super awful racist piece of shit yeah. who carved a swastika into his forehead when he was in prison. By the way, oh yeah, so just just nice to, little detail, just to seal the deal. At least he let people know outright that he was a piece of shit. No, no wonder. Like, if you're gonna be a piece of shit, at least be an honest piece of shit. At least, if you're gonna raise, be a racist piece of shit. At least carve a not a swastika to your forehead, so, <laughs> so we know, so we don't waste the time to get to know you. Exactly. Yeah. So. How did that not scar, and then leave a swastika scar on his no, it forehead? Did. It did. He carved it into his forehead, and still had enough charisma to get people. Maybe he had less charisma. <laughs> You know, like when you're playing, like a you're playing like D and D or something, and your character has a scar, and it takes away from your charisma, but adds to your intimidation factor. Okay, kind of like that. He wasn't necessarily like when he was in prison; he kind of went downhill. Charles Manson, but, interesting. But when he's out of prison, D like, character, <laughs> be a good villain. Be a pretty good villain. Not gonna lie. Keeps trying to persuade you to stop fighting him and join. 
aside. Come on, man. Uh, so so he, and by the way, also another thing to point out that twenty twos aren't the loudest of guns either. No, that's There's, what I was wondering actually. Like I don't know how well the uh, technology is on silencers at this time. He didn't have a silencer. Okay, so no silencer. No um, makeshift anything. No, he may not have needed it. No, the twenty two really like it's like it's like pow. like you can almost mistake it for like somebody dropping. No, not quite. But no, it's it's about the same. That's on the same level as like your normal firecracker. Honestly, yeah, yeah. So it's not uh, it's not like shooting a forty five or something like that, or a, a rifle, like a full size rifle. It's it's just not. It's not super loud. Yeah. So it's and this is also super late too. So people are like sleeping. If yeah. you fire a, if you fire that four times, especially with being at the edge of the property. Because there's a little bit of property, no one's really going to hear it, especially if they're yeah. especially if they're drunk sleeping. Yeah, definitely. So I don't know if they're drinking, but let's just assume maybe they did, like had like you know party cocktails or something. Yeah, maybe. That's assuming maybe, but I just know like a twenty-two might not wake you up. It's very very likely that it wouldn't wake you up. It'd have to be very close to you, like in the same room, not that far from you. Yeah, or just a very very light sleeper. Yeah. So. uh so, so then Tex ordered them to take the car and like push it up the driveway, like the rest of the way, not to make noise. He's fired a gun four times, which albeit not very loud, but they're going to sound of music the car up wow. uphill. By the way, and we're talking like uh like a they think I didn't get the exact make and model of the car, but I know it's like an old seventies like full metal, full sized, you know. Full size, it's not a hot rod or anything, but it's like yeah. a full size Chevy or something. Just in case you didn't already think they weren't good planners, <laughs> yeah, dude. I don't know how many Fired people have, gun. have pushed, especially old cars, but old cars have a lot more like just actual steel. Oh, yeah, and they're really heavy, like an average it car. It wasn't a plastic Kia, this was a metal. Well, I mean, Kias can be like plastic and stuff like that because they're designed like there's like the the frame is also the supports to the car yeah. these cars used to have like an axle system and uh a frame and then the body would go on top of it like the body yeah. and that are two separate pieces now it's all one concise thing yeah and cars are made to crumble that way on purpose so that like yeah. it keeps the person safe these cars are just like eh, put enough steel in front of you they'll be fine yeah um so then Watson entered through the window, uh, through a screen window, basically, and then went through the rest of the house quietly and unlocked the door so the rest of them could get in. Wow. So they push the car up the driveway, cuts a hole in a screen window, gets in, lets the other members in. Then uh, they wake up Frykowski, who is sleeping in the living room. I believe a uh, W. Wachowski, so the, the boyfriend. Okay, yeah. Um. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, just as one of them named Mike, uh, sorry, Fryowski. This uh, Folger is his girlfriend. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. So this is the um. Yes. So I'm getting, I'm just double checking because I don't want to get things too confused because there's a lot of names that go back and forth in this next section. Okay. All right. All right. So they wake up W. Frykowski, who's sleeping in the other room, and of course, like, so they just wake him up. Like he's just like he's sleeping, and the next thing he knows. Three strangers are in his house. One of them's got a bloody knife and a gun. Oh. And he asked, Frankowski asked them, like, 
what, what were they doing there? And then Watson replied, I'm the devil and I'm here to do the devil's business. Ah, imagine that. Really? You just getting up from like a nice, a nice sleep on the couch and there's a madman like hitting you and telling you he's the, he's the fucking devil. Huh? That's horrifying. Yeah. Like every now and then I'll get that itch in the back of my mind and I'll look in the back seat to make sure like nobody's hiding there. You know oh I mean? yeah, I do that too. That shit. Man, and, and the next one is like people getting me when I'm sleeping. It's freaky. Yeah. That's like one of my biggest fears is that in all honesty, I think my biggest fear is dying from something that I could have prevented if I was prepared. Oh God. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just the lack of like getting caught in the shower or taking a shit. <laughs> like just the worst of times. Now I'm vulnerable. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I need to wipe. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, come on. Like, especially something that I'm like, I could have. You're not- prepared for it. 99% yeah. of the time. It's yeah. the one time you're like, I'm just not going to take the night vision goggles with me. It's that 1% <laughs> that I have a genuine fear of. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's why you got to have a toilet gun. (laughs) (laughs) This power of the scrubbing bubbles, motherfucker. (laughs) Mr. Clean your ass. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Nice. Toilet gun. All right. So they, uh, (laughs) sadly, back to sadness here. So they forced the rest of the sleeping residents into the living room. Uh, uh, Tex Watson began to tie Tate and Sebring together, uh, the hairstylist. And uh, he tied them together and then also tied their necks together with like rope. And then they swung the ropes over like the ceiling beams, like they were going to hang them. Oh, wow. Um, so Sebring protested. Like he was like, you know, he told the murders, like, hey, she's eight and a half months pregnant. You need to like, at least take it easy on her. So Tex just shot him. Wow. Bam. Uh, he, uh, he shot him and then Watson then stabbed JC Bring seven times. Just Jeez. Gone, gone to town. Because he, again, there's no rhyme or reason that they're doing this. They are just, there's, it's not even because she's famous. It's not because her husband's even more famous. It's not because it's the heiress of the Folgers. Like, it could be any one of these reasons, and somehow that makes it fit together better in my mind. Yeah. But they're just there because it's the right fucking address. Because wow. the guy that pissed off Manson lived there. Was that even... Do we know if that was even a, like, order from Manson? Uh, well, he, would, he did tell them to go do horrible things. Like, his, his vague instructions are do terrible things, basically. Oh. So pretty much, yeah. He'll like deny it and play around it and stuff, but like they, the members claim that like, oh, these were his instructions. Okay. Yeah. So, um, Frykowski's hands, uh, so basically Frykowski's hands were tied with a towel and he was able to like get free of it. So you like, um, I guess, you know, again, we're not talking about like Boy Scout level knots here. These are like 
Yeah. Essentially three crazy drug addicts breaking into your house. Yeah, so I'm not really trying to critique them a whole lot, but I mean, you know what you're going to do there. You don't bring zip ties? I mean, come on. I mean, they're no, Ma- they're no MacGyver, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, clearly not. Let's <laughs> quick, fire a gun and then push tell. a car. <laughs> bang, 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 bang. Shh. Push the car. Be very quiet. Don't, we don't want to turn it on. It'll wake everyone up. We don't want to wake anybody up. <laughs> I'm a fucking moron. <laughs> so um, since the guy's hands were tied with a fucking towel, um, Frakowski, like I was trying to like beeline for the door and I'm not, um, I'm not, I, you know, you'd, some people are like, well, he's not going to sit there and fight him. No. One of them has a gun. One of them has a gun. And honestly, I think that was probably one of his like better moves he could have made in his particular situation. I mean, I'm not saying anybody here critiques him. I'm just like, yeah, I just want to snub that in the dirt before anybody goes there with that. And this guy was sleeping like minutes ago. And yeah. then suddenly, you know, he just, he's just seen somebody die. And then uh, he doesn't even know about the other dude yet, parent. So his best thing is just like fight or flight, get out the door. And then maybe when he comes to his senses, he can get help. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because all he's got to do is like make it to the next house. And he's got like a 95% chance that they're yeah, going to make it. Because, I mean, at that point, it's like, are you going to try and risk your life guaranteeing that they're going to die? Like, and like trying to prevent yeah, that. Yeah, it's not like he knows like martial arts or anything. Yeah. He doesn't have a gun. Or if you go get help, you can at least have a better chance of catching them. Even right. if it doesn't save the people's lives, it'll at least put the ones who did it behind bars. It's it it sounds cold, but honestly, he made the right choice. He yeah. was trying to make a break for it because they're still they're still alive now, and maybe they'll be alive when he gets back. But he'll know like at least cops are on the way. So yeah. I, I don't even know if he thought about all that. I'm just saying I I agree with. I mean, this guy's panicking, like anybody would. Yeah, it's it. He's he's witnessed literally the whole one of the worst things you can imagine. It's just watching some dude point blank bang and then get stabbed seven times. So, um, he made his way onto the, he, so he made his way out the front door and onto the front ports, but Watson did catch up to him. So I guess Watson's one of those like weird, athletic, crazy LSD drug addicts. Yeah. So may not have even been athletic. Just, just, there's nothing to Cocaine's a hell of a drug. I mean, so Watson shot Fryowski two times and then. Stabs him 51 times. Wow. And um, also hit him 13 times with the butt of the gun. So he shoots him twice. And and this is all isn't... I believe he probably shot him before he caught up to him. I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Uh, That's the way this reads. uh, The way like the report read. Um Stab hitting him and stabbing him could be like interchanged that, you know, we didn't just like procedurally stab him 51 times and then hit him like he could be mixing this up but yeah. either way it, he's just an animal he hits him 50 shoots him uh, stabs him 51 times hits him 13 times in the head of the gun to the point where he bent the barrel and broke off the side of the gu- of the gun grip yeah that's Do you know how hard it is to bend i mean you might but you yeah. know how hard it is to bend a gun barrel that's uh 
especially cold. Exactly. So the cold it's, steel. It's not like like what Ty is referencing to is I like to do a little forging on my free time. And uh I mean you're familiar with like handguns and stuff yeah. too. So like uh like the average person might not know. I'm just saying like with yeah. your with your experiences, you're you're aware of like it's made out of steel. Yeah. That is and got not a to lot be of it the too. hardest part of the gun. Right. And, because, that, and it's and it's like short, usually not that you know, you don't have like a dirty, hairy, like yeah, eight inch barrel or some yeah. shit like that. Like even that. But like we're talking like a regular twenty two pistol, so maybe the barrel's four That's inches. just unrelenting. There's no leverage to bend it, even if you could bend it. Yeah. And he's doing that with human bone and bone like it's just that's hitting him so hard. Like yeah. the adrenaline going through this drug addict is making him have like weird. I mean, I don't want to like get too graphic, but at a certain point, I think what bent the gun barrel wasn't bone, but like the ground. Ground. Yeah. Maybe. I, I mean, going through it. It's just, well, because there's at 13 times. Yeah. There's nothing left to hit. That's insane. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if the guy, eh, I'm not going to get into that, but it's, it's going to get hard to identify him after that. You know what I mean? This guy clearly had problems. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, uh, Folger escaped from uh, Krenwinkel, Bullwinkel, from Krenwinkel and fled to the uh, fled out of the bedroom out to the pool area. Um, she would... Uh, so, there's kind of some back and forth. I kind of condensed this down because I'm not, I'm not going to like glorify the violence and get kind of over the top with it here, but... Uh, Folger tried to escape, but eventually did get caught by Crinewinkle and Watson. Between the two of them, they stabbed her 28 times. Uh, and, uh, yeah, they just caught her and stabbed her 28 times. Wow. And not to get overly graphic with her situation, because it gets pretty bad, I'm just going to say they stabbed Sharon Tate uh, 18 times between both Atkins and Watson. And no, the baby did not survive. Wow. Eight and a half months pregnant. One, I don't know how you stab somebody on like without, you know, it's you or them. Like, yeah, they're coming. You know, you're defending yourself or something like that. And that just happens. I, you know, it's crazy. But to stab, I mean, a, a eight and a half month pregnant woman. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, even in a pure That's adrenaline self-defense situation. Once it's diffused itself, you know, after one, maybe at max two stabs, I mean, yeah, that's what is the key difference of like, that's not a normal person. Right. That once it only takes a certain amount to kill somebody. There's you know, a, there's a podcast, um, a great podcast called small, uh, small town murder. They do too. There's one called Crime and Sports and Small Town Murder. It's one of my like favorite like true crime podcasts. Um, I think they did the experiment. I'm pretty sure they did because uh, he talks about you know how hard it is to stab somebody like because they had a story with excessive stabbing in it. Yeah, uh, and it was something of the ballpark between 20 to 30 times. I mean, 52 is just stabbing into like pudding at that point. But yeah, um, uh, they talk about like if you ever tried to like. He's like, yeah. Do you ever try to like stab like a watermelon or like full baked chicken or like full like turkey or something like that like twenty times? 
And I think they did the experiment where they like with the the co hosts like I mean they don't know if they did it on air or not. I think they did it on like social media or something. Where like yeah. he just like goes at this like turkey like twenty times. And he has to like switch arms. <laughs> he's like it's he's like to get through bone and stuff. It's really really hard. And then yeah. you gotta pull the knife out and then repeat. And he's like the average person might get like five to ten. Because imagine like the strength. Because you'd have to like either because you're just not you're not doing fifty two in a row. You're just I mean, not. That's like the same level of intensity to get 52 in a row that it'd be like, you know, you're punching something out of rage until your fingers bleed. Right. Uh, you, you know, just like this unbridled just, adrenaline. Yeah. Just relentless. It's just like you don't you, you're beyond seeing red at that point And you're just like you just yeah. wake up covered in an animalistic amount of blood. Yeah. It is. I, I can't just, you don't just stab somebody 50. The guy would have had to have taken a break and come back or switch hands or keep switching hands back and forth to stab him that many times. You know what I mean? Well, no, that's what I, that's what I think. I think he, in that, I don't know. I don't know if he can what physically to call do it, it, but I don't know if he can physically do it. Well, I think, go. yeah, I think you could with that kind of adrenaline. And it's I an mean, I, to do. I'd almost say, it's more of the sadistic side. Oh, the, uh, to, the willingness to do it already crosses that line. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm, I'm willing to, to get a turkey, a thought out turkey, and try to stab it. Like, how many times time to see we can do it? Okay. Yeah. I'm down. I'm down. Live, live, <laughs> live stream event. <laughs> live stream. Why not? Just, yeah. Be, I'd have to skip arm day. How many licks does it take to get to the center <laughs> of a touch pop? How many stabs can we do? How many stabs can the average person do? Uh, so going back to you're asking if this was actually on the orders of Manson. Yes. And according to uh, Watson, Manson had told the women, like the women that were with him, to leave a sign, something witchy. Oh. So uh, Atkins wrote pig on the front door in Tate's blood. Oh. Uh, and Watson claims that Charles Manson had instructed to... Uh, instructed them to totally destroy everyone in the house and to do it as gruesome as you can as the uh, members of the Manson family were also responsible like basically the sorry I, I, I misread the members of the Manson family were also responsible for like some petty assaults and stuff but they'd never done like that so yeah. I guess he just wanted that notoriety of uh, just how horrible can we make this and like he, that was his goal and I think it's, that's super fucked up like yeah that was the benchmark he wanted to hit oh man all right thank you everybody for listening i know the editing's a little weird on this one because again this thing turned there's so much information that yeah we wound up kind of going over our our regular times and i didn't want to have another like four hour episode yeah because it's very possible with this this is too possible is the problem three episodes possible three episodes a trilogy of possibleness yes we're gonna pick this up next episode yes so uh i want to thank everybody for listening so far i know this is this has been a crazy journey um so again, you can find us on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You've got some ratings there, you know. Um, 
give it, please give us five stars. We'd appreciate it. it really kind of helps us elevate uh, up in the charts and kind of opens new opportunities for us. I know there's a whole there's a whole list, grocery list of things. Yes, I want to bring definitely. to the show and do live shows being very very high on that list. Um, and does the ratings help us with that? And um, we can also find us on uh, Podbean. There's an, there's a uh, a player there. Uh, for the comments, if you can't think of anything, um, tell us if you liked the true crime stuff. We bring it. We've brought it up a couple times, but this is a, kind of a new avenue for us. Yeah. Uh, and it's. We've been enjoying it, so. You know, I actually sometimes would fall asleep listening to true crime, which is not the best thing to do if you don't want <laughs> nightmares, but it's something I did. <laughs> and the perpetrator was creeping up to the house. I mean, it depends on who's reading it, too, because if it's that guy from Dateline, he will rock you to sleep, and that's not a bad thing. Like, I'm not saying his yeah. voice is boring. Yeah. It's just so comforting. But that's the thing. He's what I was listening things. to wasn't comforting. It was like creepy <laughs> it's like off youtube like reading uh i think it was reading uh reddit like subreddit posts oh god yeah you have like real instances might i recommend not sleeping to that again yeah don't i don't do that anymore appreciate that <laughs> That's, you know, that'll... tell us if you've done anything simpler on <laughs> twitter.com forward slash phantom jukebox underscore or facebook.com forward slash phantom jukebox and you can also follow us on Instagram.com forward slash Phantom Jukebox Podcast. All right. I want to thank everybody again for listening. This has been a crazy ride so far. And the conclusion's pretty much it just it's it's at 10 the whole time. Just stick with us. Just stick with us. Like uh, it's next episode's going to be just as good. Ah, man. Clench those chafed butt cheeks and let's roll. <laughs> Grab Rawhide. your Rawhide. <laughs> Jesus. I want to thank actual audio wizard Kenny Grooms for yes. working his, his magic on the theme song. It sounds so good every time I listen to it. Like I I've played it for people like when we first got it and they said that's yeah. that is what the show sounds like. It's yeah. it's so perfect. And then I want to thank uh uh social media guru. Dakota Galvin for all the great work she's been doing on our socials. Fantastic. Uh, we're upwards of uh, towards 300 followers on Twitter. Uh, we're working on like nearing we're, we're approaching 250 downloads yeah. uh, of like the episodes played. We're getting literal play worldwide. Yeah. Like, and that's yeah. because everybody that's that's because like the effort she's putting in and you guys telling people about it and sharing it with your friends. There's also some local pod, not just local podcasts, but fellow podcasts have also been really cool and sharing us about. Yeah. So. And uh, I'm very thankful that she does that. It was actually a while that I called Twitter the Twitter. The Twitter. I, I legit didn't know. I, uh, uh, I very much, I think I've done that in the first couple episodes, yeah. actually. And I was like, I was just nervous. I was like, oh, the Twitter, the Facebook, <laughs> maybe the MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> the reddit the tumblr find us on ask jeeves <laughs> you'll find our wordpress that wordpress is actually still a thing see i don't know <laughs> i don't know that's why i don't do it our aol is i read them but i i don't i can't post like i don't yeah and if i do post it is pretty simple and you could pretty much tell who it is surfing surfing the social media yes. is the most i can do yes but i'm surrounded by sharks on either side yeah <laughs> I am going to die if I do too much. 
Thank you for tuning in with us. Yes, thank you for enjoying this ride with us and enjoy the next part. Yes. Part three, The Unexpected Journey. The Unexpected. Actually get to hear some of what the Beatles might have thought. Yes, what their thoughts on it. And they're not very favorable. No, I no. wouldn't be either. No, I certainly wouldn't be. It's uh, Nah, nah. Anyway, thanks for being with me, Joe. Thank you, Chai. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in, and enjoy part three coming soon.